This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory in Ruskin. Thanks for joining us. Most common freshwater aquarium fish are aquacultured, that is, born and raised on fish farms in Florida, other parts of the U.S., and abroad. Most marine aquarium species, by contrast, are collected from the wild, with only a small percentage being farm-raised. Petco and Defenders of Wildlife have joined forces to reduce impacts on coral reef habitats and species by promoting aquacultured fish over wild-caught specimens. How did this unique collaboration develop, and what can it accomplish? My guests today are Rich Williams and Todd Gwynn from Petco and Dan Thornhill from Defenders of Wildlife. Join us as they discuss the plight of coral reefs worldwide and how a push toward aquaculture can help both the industry and the environment. We'll be right back after these messages. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guests today are Rich Williams and Todd Gwynn from Petco and Dan Thornhill from Defenders of Wildlife. Thanks to you all for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. So Rich, we've for a few times had multiple guests and this is always a lot of fun. Rich, let's start with you. Just to give our listeners a little more information on, on you personally, how long have you been with Petco? And as Petco's Vice President of Companion Animal Merchandising, what would you say are your main duties? Uh, well, thanks. First, uh, I've been with Petco for 18 years, uh, working in the stores, inventory management, animal care, and then in merchandising. Uh, and in my current role, I get to focus on the birds, the small animals, the reptiles, and the aquatic life teams uh, that uh, bring all this to life at Petco. Great. Thanks. And Todd, likewise, how long have you been with Petco, and what are your duties as Petco's Aquatic Life Merchandise Manager? Sure. I've been with Petco for 17 and a half years. I started in the stores when I was in college and then uh, moved to the office about 15 years ago. I've always been involved with the uh, live animals for the company. As the Aquatic Life Merchandise Manager, my main duties are um, being res- I'm responsible for the deciding the assortment, which is really which species we're going to carry and uh, which stores are going to carry those, who we pr- purchase our fish from, and I usually negotiate almost all the costs and set the retails for the company. Okay, thank you. And last but definitely not least, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about your background in uh, coral reef ecology 
and what your role as conservation scientist is for Defenders of Wildlife. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me. So my PhD is from the University of Georgia, and I've been working to study coral reefs and uh, the effects of climate change and, and various questions about coral reefs for coming up on, on 15 years now. My background is as an academic, and so I've worked at places like the University of Georgia and Auburn University and Bowdoin College. And then I came to Defenders about three years ago as a conservation scientist. And so I still do basic research and, and submit that work for publication at peer-reviewed journals, just like a, a scientist at a, a major university. But I also work to help ensure that our conservation programs here at Defenders are based on the best available science. And so I conduct analyses specific to our programs. I advise our campaigns on various things. And uh, I just generally try to leverage the best science that we can to conserve wildlife throughout the world. Thank you. So let me um, start with some questions for you specifically, Dan. I know that Defenders of Wildlife Mission and Vision kind of concentrates on North American species and habitats. So how does the international marine fish trade and, and the marine hobby mesh with your mission? Well, that's true. Our focus is on conservation at the national level, but we do do international work as well on, on a variety of species and uh, issues. Our emphasis is really on protecting wildlife and their habitats, especially imperiled species. And coral reefs are a pretty imperiled habitat today. So in that way, working on issues of coral reef conservation really fits directly within our mission. Can you tell us a little bit about the Defenders of Wildlife's coral reef conservation work over the past several years since you've been there? Sure. We've worked in, in a couple of different arenas when it comes to coral reef conservation. We've done some basic work on corals and climate change, studying the problem and proposing adaptation solutions to protect reefs. We've developed some ways of managing coral reefs in places where there's very limited management infrastructure. And we've worked on the wildlife trade, particularly around ornamental species, species that are collected for the curio trade or the marine aquarium trade, and in trying to find ways to make that trade more sustainable and to ensure the health of coral reefs throughout the world. So what would you say are the major challenges that coral reefs and marine aquarium species face today? And how would you rate the relative importance of each of these? Excellent question. So coral reefs in many ways are suffering death by a thousand cuts. There are problems that range from the very local to the very global. And so the biggest problems facing coral reefs, particularly over the long term, are things like climate change. The oceans are becoming too warm, and that leads to a breakdown of the, the symbiosis between corals and these little algae that live within inside them called zooxanthellae. Uh, there's also ocean acidification, which is making it harder for corals to build their calcium carbonate skeletons that form the very structure of the reef itself. There's things like nutrient pollution and, and overfishing for food fish that are causing more local problems, but leading to a, a pretty rapid decline of reefs all over the world. And then there are other issues as well, including overcollection and destructive collection practices that are associated with the aquarium trade. So if I had to rank them um, in order from largest problems to least problems, I would probably put climate change and acidification near the top. And somewhere around number five or six on the list would be the damaging practices and overcollection that, that are sometimes associated with the aquarium trade, particularly among unscrupulous collectors. That's a great description and a death by a thousand cuts. I see. That's a good way of putting it. So, Rich and Todd, this next set of questions is, is kind of is geared toward uh, you two. I'm familiar with Petco's great animals and, and livestock and all that, but how long actually has Petco been selling marine fish? Well, so the, the company itself has been in business for almost 50 years. 
And for about 30 of those 50 years, we've been selling marine fish in select stores uh, nationwide. Okay, so prior to the collaboration with uh, Defenders of Wildlife, what criteria were you using for determining what species of marine fish would be sold? Yeah, so at PECO, we have and continue to change the assortment that we offer our customers based on several things. Uh, first of all, we look at, is it appropriate for the beginner to intermediate customer, which is the main PECO customer? Second, is it a species that our associates and our customers, uh, do we think they'll be successful with that species? The third we look, is the species available as aquacultured? Because uh, we'd obviously bring it in as aquacultured if we could. Uh, and finally, uh, we look at, is there any outside data available such as the stuff we've gotten from defenders on overfishing or that a particular species um, adapts poorly when it's in an aquarium environment. Um, and if we had any of those things, we would choose not to uh, bring it in. So we continue to, uh, to use those as criteria and we continue to add on them once we get additional data from uh, great partners like defenders. So in terms of the culture, on the culture side of the uh, marine hobby, can you tell us what species of commonly cultured marine fish you currently sell? Sure. So um, we actually carry all of the commonly cultured aquacultured fish. Uh, if it's being aquacultured and it's available in commercial quantities, we skew it up and sell it, and we discontinue selling the, the wild-collected version of that fish. That assortment really, for the most part, revolves around clownfish, dotty backs, blennies, and gobies. There's certain species of all those categories. And then on top of all that, almost uh, all of the corals that we sell, and then 98% of the live rock that we sell is all aquacultured as well. That's great. So you guys are probably as familiar with the culture side and have pretty good experience in that area. What makes marine fish so difficult to culture? Uh, that's a great question, and it's actually there's a really simple answer for that. Getting the, the different marine species to actually breed in captivity is not the difficult part. They, they can get fish to spawn all the time in, in different uh, aquarium situations. The biggest problem with aquaculturing of marine fish is actually developing the food or the microscopic fry, and it's something that there's a lot of science behind, and they're trying to figure it out, but it, I was told by a scientist once that it really boils down to being able to raise food that's small enough to go into the little fry's mouth, and right now, they haven't figured that out for all the species. So, can you tell us, I know that you guys have been really active in, in supporting marine aquarium fish aquaculture. Can you tell us a little bit about your efforts in support of that? Yeah, we're actually really excited about this. Um, Petco's working on the aquaculture initiative in several ways. First, we are a major supporter of Rising Tide. Um, this is an organization dedicated to advancing the science of marine aquaculture fish um, and also sharing that data with the industry so that the entire industry can advance. Uh, second, we're committed to supporting those initiatives and the vendors who um, also go after aquaculture, and we give 1% of our marine aquatic life sales to support those efforts every year. And third, we're committed to carrying aquaculture fish when they're available, and I think this is very important. We keep them at a retail similar to the wild collected species, so that makes it much easier for the consumer, for the customer, to make that decision to purchase aquaculture. Uh, and then finally, we're committed to educating our associates and our customers on why choosing aquaculture is better than choosing fish or corals that were taken from the oceans of the reef. That's great. You guys are, are definitely doing a lot, and um, I know um, that's got to be making a difference. I know you guys are going to – we'll talk a little bit more about how to track all of that. Now, this collaboration between Petco and, and uh, Defenders of Wildlife, it does seem a little strange, I guess, you know, if you kind of just look at it from the outside. How was this initiated, and how long had this partnership been under construction, so to speak? Yeah, so it does seem a little strange at the outset, but when we first met Dan, Petco and Defenders were at a coral legislation meeting in Washington, D.C., 
And I had the opportunity to sit next to Dan and found out a lot about his work and found out he was a pretty dang smart guy. And he learned a lot about PECO and things that we were doing um, towards the um, aquaculture initiative that he wasn't aware of. So after kind of talking and getting a, a good relationship together, we find out that the two companies were actually a pretty good match, the two organizations. We had a lot of common ground. We had a lot of common goals. And quite frankly, we just took it from there and we kept meeting and talking about things that we could do to improve things in aquaculture and the environment. Yeah, that's exactly right. I totally agree. I was immediately impressed by some of the things Petco already had in place at the time we first met. And so it was just a natural fit for us to work together towards common goals of coral reef collaboration and conservation. So it sounds like it was a really fortuitous meeting and the start of a great collaboration. What are the goals for this collaboration? What do Petco and Defenders of Wildlife hope to achieve with this collaboration? Yeah, I'll start out and then I'll let Dan um, talk about uh, his thoughts as well. Uh, but my main goals, or Petco's main goals in the collaboration, were around improving the collection practices for all of the wild collected species. That was our, our first goal. Second was to identify and protect the fish species that are vulnerable to overcollection based on the data we're getting from Dan and Defenders. And lastly, just expanding the number of aquaculture species that we offer at Petco. Dan, anything to add? Yeah, I think that that largely hits it. I mean, we we want to see the the trade become as sustainable as it can be. We want to help prevent overfishing and uh, eliminate our harmful collection practices. And so I think everything that Rich said there fits perfectly within that. As you all are familiar with, there have been other attempts to try to increase sustainability in the marine aquarium hobby. For example, the certification by the Marine Aquarium Council program, which has had you know, fairly limited impact on sustainability. How will this collaboration between Petco and Defenders of Wildlife be more successful? The one thing that I've seen through my years in this industry and, and the reason that other things like the Marine Aquarium Council and other types of conservation efforts like this have failed is really there was no retail and there was no hobbyist support. And uh, in this instance, you have the largest purchaser and retailer of marine aquatic life in the world, almost, or we are, supporting this and driving this. And I think that's why this one is going to succeed. I would just follow that up to say, you know, Petco's commitments to sustainability, I, I think we see as a real catalyst for change within the industry as a whole. And so we're thrilled to be working with them on this. Well, that definitely sounds like a different tact that will have much more success. I have a lot more questions for you, so let's take a short break. We'll continue our discussion with Rich Williams and Todd Gwynn from Petco and Dan Thornhill from Defenders of Wildlife after these messages from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. (laughs) 
We're back and continuing our conversation with Rich Williams and Todd Gwynn of Petco and Dan Thornhill from Defenders of Wildlife. Well, guys, that really does sound very promising, having industry retail and hobbyist support. So my next question is, I guess, to the complexity of the trade in general. The marine aquarium trade is really complex and getting exact numbers of fish collected and sold worldwide can be really difficult, if not impossible. What data and resources are being used and how are decisions being made regarding which species should be sold by Petco? So you're right in identifying this trade as very complex and very challenging to get your mind around. There are at least 1,800 species of fish that are imported into the U.S. for the aquarium trade. There's hundreds of species of invertebrates and corals. And so knowing what's going on with those species and all the diverse locations that they come from is very, very challenging. And for some, there's science demonstrating problems with collection or problems with destructive fishing. But for most species, we're operating with very little information to start. So this is a real challenge for us. And that's one of the things that we're working together on. You know, Rich and Todd can tell you about some of the specific steps that they're taking and the commitments that they've made. One of the things that Defenders is contributing to the the collaboration is we're doing an analysis of many of the the top species in trade, uh, over 100 species. And we're using this technique called productivity susceptibility analysis, where we're able to take a bunch of information, whatever information is available on a particular species in 22 different categories about their life history, about the fishery. We've compiled this information and we've put it into a standard framework. And from this, we're able to estimate the relative vulnerability of different species. And so we can use it to try to make smart decisions about which species are most vulnerable and which species are most robust against collection. And hopefully we can encourage people to choose those that are most robust. And for the really vulnerable species, uh, we can look towards you know, aquacultured alternatives or if an aquacultured alternative isn't available, we can encourage research to make an aquacultured alternative available. Yeah, I'd say from the Petco side, we're, um, we're really eager to use that analysis that Dan's putting together as a tool to look at our assortment and make decisions on fish that possibly we didn't know some different things about, and then we would, we would remove those from our assortment as well. And then we also use, on the Petco side, we use information from our suppliers. And then there's just some there's common sense decisions that we've made, like discontinuing obligate coralivore butterfly fish. Most of our customers, as Rich said earlier, are beginning hobbyists, so they're most likely not going to have a 300-gallon reef tank that these butterflies need to survive. So there's just some decisions like that that we've made that really the, it's just almost common sense. So, and we may have covered some of this a little bit earlier, but maybe if you could summarize again, what recommendations has Defenders of Wildlife made with regard to improving sustainable practices? So Petco has made a whole set of commitments along the lines of their Marine Life Initiative, and and they asked for our advice on those, and so we contributed recommendations there. As I mentioned, we're doing this big analysis of fish vulnerability that that we're going to publish in a scientific journal, and we've shared with Petco already, and and it'll be out in the public eventually, that can be used to prioritize which species are most vulnerable and which are least vulnerable. And so we're going to encourage Petco to choose those that are, are the least vulnerable, Uh, And we've also been working together with Petco to develop a set of metrics to track our progress and uh, to see how well we're doing and and what positive outcomes we're having for coral reef wildlife. And so in all of those ways, we've been been working closely together and making recommendations that Petco's been implementing. Yeah, I'd like to say at Petco, we have standards that we hold all of our suppliers to domestically, and we've done that for many, many years. And so with Dan's help, we've developed standards for our supplier suppliers. And uh, we're really holding them accountable when it comes to collection practices, 
how the fish are cared for once they've been uh, collected and shipping and, and you know, feeding protocols. There's a lot of things that we're going to be holding these suppliers to and we're going to be auditing as well. And, and we got a lot of input from Dan and Defenders when creating those standards. So as I'm understanding it a little better, you're not against wild-caught fish. You're just looking for species that are sustainably collected. What wild-caught species would you be considered in this category, i.e. sustainably collected, and based on what specific criteria? So as I mentioned, you know, there's this huge diversity of species, and oftentimes it's easier to know which ones have been, where there's problems, where the problems have been identified, than it is to know which ones are suitable. And so in general, we're encouraging people to choose aquacultured species uh, wherever, wherever possible, because we know that those are a sustainable choice. But the PSA helps us to make decisions about which ones can be taken from the wild sustainably. And as you mentioned, we've got no objection to wild collection, provided that it's done sustainably. And so some of the species that come out as, as being most productive in, in my analysis are many of the goby species, like the shark-nosed goby, a lot of blenny species, like the lawnmower blenny is a, an incredibly productive species that can probably be collected very sustainably. Royal grama is another example various species. And this is all done by, by compiling whatever scientific literature and fisheries literature is available on these things and putting it into a standard framework to make comparisons. That clarifies the uh, Take the Pledge webpage that you have regarding asking hobbyists to choose aquacultured fish over those collected in the wild. And I understand better you're talking again about if there is an option, but not against sustainably collected marine species. So that helps me understand that better. What additional efforts and or education does Petco plan on incorporating into their marine fish sections and when they're educating the hobby as well as other stakeholders? So with the launch of this initiative, we actually put signage in our aquatic life area on the holding systems themselves. We've got brochures that encourage purchasing aquaculture or sustainably harvested fish that customers can take home with them. We actually made a what we call a photo label, which is the label on our holding system that, that tells the customer about the fish, tells them the price point, and some general care information. We made separate labels that really call out the aquacultured species and the benefits to different color, and it really brings attention to the, uh, of the aquacultured species. And then we're doing a lot of uh, education and training of our associates around aquaculture and, and the benefits of it and sustainability wildlife and, and so on and so forth. So we've got a lot of uh, training and signage in stores. When you say associates, you mean the folks in the stores that are actually going to be selling to the public? Exactly. Yeah, the store people that we have out there that are working with the customers day in and day out, those are the ones that we're educating. It's also providing education for our customers as well through different methods, whether it be through campaigns like this or through our FECO.com website, so that once they become more educated on this whole initiative and why it's important, they can make a better decision for their own home tank. So I think you may have covered some of this a little bit earlier, but just to maybe re-engage the question, is Petco prepared to sell aquacultured fish over much less expensive wild-caught fish, especially if the difference may be two, three, four, five times as much if aquacultured fish are available for the same species. Our stance has always been once a fish is available aquacultured in the, in the quantities that we need, we will discontinue the wild collected and we will only sell aquaculture. We did this with clownfish years and years ago and we, we continue to do this. But uh, we've made the commitment as well and we've gotten the commitment from our entire company that we will set the retails on aquaculture fish, even if the cost is significantly higher than a wild one, we'll set the retail similar to the wild caught specimens 
so that it makes it encouraging for the associates to sell and it, and it makes hobbyists want to purchase it because that's been one of the major issues with aquaculture fish in the past. They get introduced and the retail price point is so high that the hobbyists just do not want to pay it and they just don't see the benefit to that and they, they continue to purchase the wild-caught specimens. So we're going to make sure that that's not the case in our stores. I think even going back further, it's important that we support the vendors who are actually investing their time, money, and efforts to aquaculture yeah, these fish. This is an extremely expensive endeavor to begin. And if we don't uh, support them and if we don't purchase the fish once they get them aquacultured, then there's no, uh, there's no reason for them to keep doing it. Um, so we're committed to, to assist them as well. That is really great to hear because that has always been a major concern with the aquaculture community, the fact that there are oftentimes wild-caught specimens of the same species that are many, many times cheaper than aquacultured specimens. Now, the geeky scientist in me wants to know, how will the effects of all the efforts you are all putting in be analyzed to see if they are really benefiting coral reef populations, you know, if you are making a difference uh, both in the environment as well as in the hobby? So Todd and Rich and I have been working together to develop a whole set of metrics around species in trade, aquaculture, destructive fishing like cyanide, ways of measuring our progress and how we're doing here to make sure that, that we are having a positive, positive benefit. And so those metrics are essentially finalized and we're in the process of, of starting the data collection on that. And so that's one major way. And, and, you know, Todd can share some of the um, results that they've already seen to date in, in their tracking. So that's a big one. And then I believe Petco also has a, an auditing process as well that they use to, to collect data on this. So I'll turn it over to Todd. Yeah, there's a few that are really easy for us to track. One of them is, is the penetration of aquacultured sales to our overall marine sales, meaning, you know, what percent of what we sell is aquacultured compared to wild caught. That's something that we've already been um, running some numbers on and tracking, and, and it's uh, pretty exciting that so far in, in the 18 months or not even quite 18 months that we've been working on this initiative, we've increased the penetration of aquacultured sales at PECO by 10% already. So we're almost up to 30% of all of our marine sales, if you're just talking um, fish, are uh, aquaculture, which is, which is really cool. And then we've got, like I said, an auditing process that we're, that we're instituting with our vendors, or we actually already have implemented it. And we're going to be tracking their audits, the results that they're seeing when they uh, travel, their, travel overseas and see their suppliers and stuff like that. And then with Dan's help, we've got a few other metrics that we're going to be following as well. I think it's important also that this is just the beginning, that we've just kicked this off within the last several months, but none of us are going to sit here and say we're at end state. Um, this is something that will continually be evolving. We'll continue to different, uh, look at different ways to do things, different ways to measure different metrics, et cetera. So we're uh, by no means uh, where we want to be or where we need to be. Well, it certainly sounds as though you're covering as many bases as possible in, in trying to determine how successful your efforts are both uh, for the hobby as well as for the environment. Let's turn to the hobbyists now and give them a little bit of food for thought. I read a recent press release you had regarding the Nemo 3D movie that's coming out and, and how you're trying to encourage folks to look at freshwater species before marine species if they do get interested in setting up a tank. What basic information would you want to give to a hobbyist who decides they do want to go ahead and, and start up a marine aquarium tank if they have really limited experience with that? Well, I mean, obviously, first off, what we would do is we would encourage them um, if they don't have tons of experience with marine, to experiment with freshwater if they already haven't. But if they have had a freshwater tank and they want to take that next step into marine, we would definitely encourage them to try aquaculture fish first because a lot of the aquaculture fish that we sell are very, very hardy fish. 
easy to take care of. So the one thing I know that we always try to get the customer to, to do, and this is, it sounds almost like it's a sales technique, but it's really not, is to buy the largest aquarium you possibly can, can afford and have space for, because the more water volume you have, the easier it is to take care of fish. So we really encourage uh, customers to do that. And then we want to make sure that they succeed. So the best way to succeed is to make sure they get the best equipment they can afford, best filtration, best lights, and uh, you know go from there and then pick some really hardy starter fish. And then we have a program at store level where we'll test water for free for our customers. Um, they can, you know, if they, they're setting up a tank brand new, they can put in a couple fish, let it go, start the cycling process, bring in water samples. We'll, we'll, we'll help them, let them know kind of where they're at in the cycling process and give them some guidance on, on uh, what they need to do next and then um, help them get the next fish that's best for their aquarium. And uh, really, we, we, want the, we want the customer to succeed, be excited about the hobby, and uh, continue, you know, continue in the hobby forever. So it does sound like your customers will have a lot of support, and you gave some great advice for new or close to new beginning marine hobbyists. Here's a question I meant to ask you earlier, but I wasn't sure about how our time would go. Rich and Todd, I know you both have Aquaria at home. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, I've got uh, actually just set it up uh, this this summer a uh, hundred and about 150 gallon reef tank, and uh, throughout the whole process, of course, I came back to my team here and said, "Okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? What's the best step?" And it's filled with lots of uh, aquacultured fish and corals. I've got clownfish. I've got some uh, Benga cardinals in there. It's fun. It's something I can go home and, and just watch and relax. And it's something that um, if you don't have an aquarium, you really probably don't get it. <laughs> if you do have an aquarium, you totally get these are works of art, and these are something that helps you decompress at night. And these really are my pets. And a lot of people don't um, necessarily look at fish as pets, but I do. Yeah, I can say I have a 75-gallon reef tank at home that I've had running for many years. And uh, <laughs> my friends always joke with me because I have a dining room. It's supposed to be the dining room in my house. And really what it is is the reef tank room, and I have an overstuffed chair that's sitting right in front of it. And like Rich said, I come home from work, and the first thing I do is sit in my chair and decompress and just stare at my tank. But uh, it's, again, it's filled with uh, all aquacultured corals. Um, I don't have any wild harvested corals in that tank. Uh, I've got some clownfish, some aquacultured bangai cardinals. I'm really excited, and it's a fish that's not available in large numbers yet, but I have an aquacultured mandarin goby, which is something that we're really working hard with the producers and the breeders to get that fish up into commercial production because we would love to have that in our assortment at Petco day in, day out. But, uh, yeah, I have that tank there, and then in my office here at our corporate headquarters, I have another reef tank and a freshwater tank there that uh, I tinker with constantly. And how about you, Dan? Do you have any aquaria at home? I actually don't. I have two cats at home, but I keep a small tank of um, Hawaiian pond shrimp here at the office, which were aquacultured by a colleague that works on them. And then I also, for my research, I care for a bunch of a bunch of different animals, mostly corals and anemones. So I have some estrangia, a temperate coral from the U.S. East Coast, and uh, that old aquarium pest, Aptasia, we actually use a lot in our research. It's a very important species for studying coral reefs. And so those are the animals I'm caring for right now, but I don't have a, a hobbyist tank. Okay, before I ask the final question, I have to ask uh, Rich and Todd, if I come over and visit San Diego, can you guys get me great seats at Petco Park to watch the Padres, uh, even though they may not be doing quite as well as the Rays are at this point? (laughs) (laughs) If we want them, we can help you up. Okay, that's great. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. 
I also appreciate all the time and efforts that your two organizations, Petco and Defenders of Wildlife, have put into developing this partnership. Also, all the great things I'm expecting to see on both the hobby and the environmental end. With that said, any of you have any final words of wisdom or thoughts for our listeners in this area? Yeah, I have a couple things, and I'll turn it over to Dan. Just first of all, and speaking for all of us, we're all pet lovers, and we get the joy of owning pets, including fish. It can be very positive, very rewarding, and it's a relationship uh, between us and, and the fish and our pets. And at Petco, this campaign is all about doing the right thing. It's about doing the right thing for aquatic life, protecting our ocean environments, and encouraging our customers who purchase fish as pets to do the same thing, to educate them uh, to be able to make the right decisions. And then the final comment would just be towards Dan and Defenders. I really want to thank them for being willing to take the risk to work with a big retailer like Petco. I mean, it wasn't an easy decision on their part initially, just as it it was on our part, but when we're able to break down those barriers to work between um, environmental groups and with retailers, corporations, the outcome is a much better result. So I want to thank them for a great collaboration. They're great partners. Yeah, likewise. We're thrilled to be collaborating with Petco. Looking forward to all the things we're going to accomplish. My closing message is to obvious would be a couple of things. Choose aquaculture wherever you can. And uh, if you're going to go with a wild-caught fish, ask about it. Ask where it came from. Ask how it was harvested. Find out as much as you can about it and, and be an informed consumer. And that ultimately helps to protect reefs and, and is for the betterment of, of the planet. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thanks very much to our guests, Rich Williams and Todd Gwynn from Petco and Dan Thornhill from Defenders of Wildlife and our producer, Mark Winner, for making this show possible. Please be sure to check out their recommended websites, the links of which can be found on their Aquarium Mania bio page. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy, that's D-R-R-O-Y, at PetLifeRadio.com. Dr. Roy at PetLifeRadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Aquarium Mania exhibit at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, including, of course, Petco. Keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy, and buy aquacultured fish. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.